Welcome to Reading the One Year Bible Together, a daily podcast that runs Monday through Saturday. My name is Bryce Tomlinson, and I'll be joined by Sherry Atanasal, and on occasion, my lovely wife, Julie. If you don't have a one-year Bible, you can get a reading plan at oneyearbibleonline.com. There's a link in the description of this video on Facebook, and as well as the show notes of our podcast. This podcast is recorded from Jitsi, where we do our live streams daily. Details can be found in the show notes as well as on our Facebook page. You're welcome to read out of whichever version of the Bible that you like best. We just happen to use the World English Bible because it's public domain. And as such, this podcast and its corresponding live stream are also public domain. You're welcome to download them and re-upload them anywhere that you see fit, anywhere that you think that the Word of God is needed. We feel like that's pretty much everywhere, so you should totally do that. And even if you can't, you can still hit that share button. Share this on your timeline, share this on your Facebook, your Twitter feed, your TikTok, or wherever you think that people ought to be getting into the Bible. In the show notes, you'll find links to PayPal and Patreon, where you can show your support and contribute to the improving of our audio quality and the audio gear that we use to record these podcasts and live streams. Thanks for joining us, and here we go. Today is August 17th, 2023, and that means it is day 229 of the one-year Bible. Day 229 is going to start us out in Nehemiah chapter 12. So if you want to get turned there, Sherry, would you like to pray for us this morning? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I would just like to thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your word, and thank you that we have this podcast that you've blessed us with, Lord. May we edify and glorify you as we go through your word today, and I pray that you would give us and the listeners clarity and understanding um, in these pages. And I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once again, we're starting out in Nehemiah chapter 12, starting in verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with giving thanks and with singing, with cymbals, stringed instruments, and with harps. The sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and out of the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built them themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Then I brought the princes of Judah up on the wall, and appointed two great companies who gave thanks and went in procession. One went on the right hand on the wall toward the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah with half of the princes of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, and Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechur, the son of Asaph, and his brothers, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, was before them. By the spring gate, and straight before them, they went up by the stairs of David's city, at the ascent of the wall above David's house, even to the water gate eastward. The other company of those who gave thanks went to meet them, and after them, with the half of the people on the wall above the 
tower of the furnaces, even to the wide wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the old gate, and by the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of Hameah, even to the sheep gate, and they stood still in the gate of the guard. So the two companies of those who gave thanks in God's house stood, and I and half of the rulers with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, Maniamin, Micaiah, Eliawani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loud with Jezrahiah, their overseer. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, and the women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even far away. On that day, men were appointed over the rooms for the treasures, for the wave offering for the first fruits and for the tithes, to gather into them according to the fields of the cities the portions appointed by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced for the priests and for the Levites who served. They performed the duty of their God and the duty of the purification, and so did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old there was a chief of the singers, and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. All Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the portions of the singers and the gatekeepers as every day required, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Next, we continue in Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 1. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written in it that an Ammonite and a Moabite should not enter into the assembly of God forever, because they didn't meet the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. It came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the rooms of the house of our God, being allied to Tobiah, had prepared for him a great room, where before they laid the meal offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of the grain, the new wine, and the oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the wave offerings of the priests. But in all this I was not at Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some days, I asked leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing him a room in the courts of God's house. It grieved me severely. Therefore, I threw all Tobiah's household stuff out of the room. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the rooms. I brought into them the vessels of God's house with the meal offerings and the frankincense again. I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the the singers who did the work had each fled to his field. Then I contended with the rulers and said, Why is God's house forsaken? Gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the treasuries. I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah. And next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they 
they were counted faithful, and their business was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, my God, concerning this, and don't wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its observances. In those days I saw some men treading wine presses on the Sabbath in Judah, bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them in the day in which they sold food. Some men of Tyre also lived there, who brought in fish and all kinds of wares, and sold on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, and profane the Sabbath day? Didn't your fathers do this, and didn't our God bring all this evil on us and on the city? Yet you bring more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be should be shut, and commanded that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. I set some of my servants over the gates, so that no burden should be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares camped outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them, and said to them, Why do you stay around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they didn't come on the Sabbath. I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves, and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me for this also, my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab, and their children spoke half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language. But according to the language of each people, I contended with them, cursed them, struck certain of them, plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Didn't Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women caused even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you to do all this great evil, to trespass against our God in marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from all foreigners and appointed duties for the priests and for the Levites, everyone in his work, and for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, my God, for good. Next, we are going into the New Testament. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brothers, that you remember me in all things, and hold firm the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For it is one and the same thing as if she were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her hair also be cut off. 
But if it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or be shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to have his head covered, because he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. For man wasn't created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this cause the woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the woman independent of the man, nor the man independent of the woman in the Lord. For as woman came from man, so a man also comes through a woman, but all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it appropriate that a woman pray to God unveiled? Doesn't even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither Neither do God's assemblies. Next, we are back in the Old Testament. We are in Psalm 35, starting in verse 1. Contend, Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler, and stand up for my help. Brandish the spear, and block those who pursue me. Tell my soul, I am your salvation. Let those who seek after my soul be disappointed and brought to dishonor. Let those who plot my ruin be turned back and confounded. Let them be as chaff before the wind, Yahweh's angel driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, Yahweh's angel pursuing them. For without cause they have hidden their net in a pit for me. Without cause they have dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come on him unawares. Let his net that he has hidden catch himself. Let him fall into that destruction. My soul shall be joyful in Yahweh. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Yahweh, who is like you, who delivers the poor from him who is too strong for him? Yes, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Unrighteous witness Witnesses rise up. They ask me about things that I don't know about. They reward me evil for good to the bereaving of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I afflicted my soul with fasting. My prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though it had been my friend or my brother. I bowed down mourning as one who mourns his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The attackers gathered themselves together against me, and I didn't know it. They tore at me and didn't cease. Like the profane mockers and feasts, they gnashed their teeth at me. Lastly, we finish with Proverbs 21, verses 17 and 18. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil won't be rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, the treacherous for the upright. Dear Heavenly Father, I would just like to thank you for your word and thank you for the history of your people, the way we're supposed to live our lives, the truths that are found in these pages. And I just pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just be reading them and going through the motions, Lord, but they would affect us in a way that would change our hearts and help us to be more like you. And I just thank you, Lord. I would like to lift up those that are struggling with illnesses, with sicknesses, with diseases, Lord God. I lift up those dealing with cancer. I lift up my mom. I lift up Richard. 
I lift up Lawrence, and I just pray for a healing, Lord. I pray that you would eradicate every cell of cancer, that you would restore what's been damaged by treatment, that you would give hope to their weary souls, Lord God, that you would help them to know that your presence is right there beside them, Lord God, that you care for them, that you love them, that you want what is best for them. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up their ears to hear your voice and your will for their lives, Lord God, and that you would restore joy and hope, and that they would come to know you or know you even better than they do, Lord God, through these trials. But I do pray for healing, Lord, especially for my mom. I know she's growing weary. I know it's getting harder, Lord God. And I just pray, even if not for her sake or my sake, but for my daughter's sake, Lord, that you extend her life in a good way, Lord, a healthy way. Thank you. Lord, I would like to lift up those who have heart conditions. I lift up Ralph and George, Sue and Stephanie, Bryce, his dad, and those who are dealing with this muscle that's just not working properly, and there's so many things that can go wrong with it, Lord. And really, it's a miracle that we're alive at all. And it's by your hand, by your grace, by your design, Lord, that all of these pieces come together and function. And it is not coincidence. It's not circumstance. It's you, Lord God. I just pray that you would fix what's wrong, right the heartbeats, Lord, restore what's been damaged, rebuild broken walls, Lord God, things that aren't working right, the electrical systems, and that you would just make these hearts like new again, Lord God, by your mighty hand. Lord, I lift up those who have had stroke, Lord. I lift up Rudy. I lift up Bryce's mom and sister. It's a frustrating thing for things not to work the way that they're supposed to or the way that they used to, Lord God, whether it's speech or thought or movement or action. Lord, I just pray for a miracle in their lives, Lord. For those that don't know you, Lord, my biggest prayer is that they would come to salvation and understanding of who you are and who your son is, that they would be saved. Lord, for the physical part, I just pray that you would heal their heal their brain. Lord, regrow new neurons, pathways, so that they may have full use of all faculties and functions again, Lord God. And I just thank you that you hear our prayers, and I thank you that you love us, Lord, and whatever you decide, Lord, it's a good thing, even if we don't understand it. Help us to find peace, regardless of circumstance. Lord, I lift up those that have broken bones. I lift up Lorita and pray for a complete and total healing of her arm. I lift up Bryce's dad and pray you would heal his bone, Lord, and allow him to walk normally again. Lord, I pray for those who have tremors for Bryce and for um, Richard, and I just pray that you would give the doctors wisdom as to what to go and where to look to find out what's going on, or better yet, Lord, just a miraculous healing. Let them wake up one morning and it's gone completely, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord. I ask that you also would continue to work in Chris's life, Lord, to restore his ability to walk, Lord, so that he can go back to work and take care of his family, because I know that's what he wants. I know he doesn't like feeling stuck, Lord. And I just pray for your grace, your financial provision and your peace in that whole family. I know they're having issues with with kids, and um, I just pray, Lord, that your blessing would rain down upon that family. Lord, I would like to lift up the couples that are struggling, Lord, those that we know of and we think of by name when we pray, those that we're not sure about, but we have suspicions. Lord, those that we interact with all the time but have no idea what a mess it is. Lord God, you know the most intimate problems that each one of these couples has, Lord God, and I just pray that you would work a miracle, that you would restore their relationships, that you would... um stop their strongholds of sin, stop their selfishness, their pride, their apathy, their arrogance, their addictions, Lord God, and that you would help them to lay themselves down, Lord, and look at the other person through your eyes, through how you see them, through your son Jesus, complete, restored, and forgiven from his work on the cross. Give them grace and mercy, Lord, to see their spouses in a loving and caring way, and to restore their, these couples, Lord, to a, a marriage that glorifies you. 
Lord, I lift up McKenna and all of those with eating disorders, Lord God, and I just pray that you would restore her mind in a way that helps her to see that food is fuel and it's necessary. It's nothing to be afraid of or avoid or minimize. Help her to see her body as you see it, Lord, as beautiful and complete. Lord, I lift up our youth to you, our young adults, our kids. The world is after them, 110%. And the world, being run by the enemy, wants their souls, wants their hearts, wants them to turn away from you and follow follow what he promises to be fun and exciting and freeing and accepting. And all of those things are just lies. And and these kids, they just don't see it. Their brains aren't developed enough. They're being lied to so consistently by everybody around them that they just believe the lie. They think it's truth. I just pray that you would give them a discernment beyond their years and an understanding, Lord God, that this way that they think is the right way is not. It will lead to destruction. It will lead to strongholds of sin and addictions and self-loathing and dozens and dozens of other things, Lord, that are not good, that you not honor you that are dangerous to them. So I pray, Lord, you would woo them back with your loving kindness, that you would restore their souls, their hearts, their minds towards you and help them to see that you are their Abba Father. You are their daddy who loves them so much and help them to accept, embrace and run to that love, Lord God. Thank you for our first responders, Lord, out there, thinking especially of those in in Maui right now in Lahaina. I know that Pierce County up in Washington sent out like 50 people, including cadaver dogs and rescue people. And I just pray that you would bless their work and bless their hands and bless the dogs, help them to find people who are lost. Lord, even if it's not an outcome that we want, but there there would be nobody left unfound. And Lord God, I just pray that you would protect their minds from what they see, from the horrors that they see, Lord God, and that you would um, bless them for their willingness to travel so far and do something that nobody wants to do, Lord, to bring restoration to, to a beautiful place. For all of those other first responders out there, Lord, I just ask that you would bless them, you would keep them safe, you would bring them to know you as their Lord and their God, so they have even more of a purpose for what they do every day. Please bless their families also as they watch their loved ones walk out the door every day. Thank you for those people teaching your word. And I do pray, Lord, everywhere that they would be encouraged and strengthened, that they would have brothers and sisters alongside them that they can trust to share their hearts with, that you would give them your words in their mouths and your desires in their hearts, that they would win more and more people for your kingdom and your glory. And finally, Lord God, I'd like to lift up Israel, your people, your beloved people, your chosen people that have rejected your son. I pray that you would pull the blinders off of their eyes, unplug their ears, help them to see, Lord God, that Jesus Jesus, your son, is their Messiah. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My first thought as I was reading through Nehemiah was, boy, that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> and why am I not surprised? We don't know how long Nehemiah was gone back to the king, but it couldn't have been a super long time. Well, it's a historical fact that when Israel is without their mouthpiece of God, they just fall back on what they've been familiar with. Uh-huh. What's comfortable, what's easy, as do we all. Having a spiritual life that honors God is a discipline. It's hard to do, honestly. Yeah, but that's easy to say for Gentiles where we're Uh exposed to, you know, the gods of this world, to the temptations and everything is right there, right next to the bread and cereal, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this culture, though, everything down to the food and the dishes and the cooking utensils Mm -hmm. is Jewish. That is true. The religious identity was their whole life, was everything from birth on. 
Well, it's good perspective. There's an old novelty song about this Jewish cowboy, and uh, <laughs> it has a lyric in it that says, even on the trail, he used two sets of dishes. <laughs> uh, yep. So they read in the book of Moses that they're not supposed to be marrying these Ammonites and Moabites. And it turns out that, oh, we've been doing that for a while now, and we've got kids with yep. them. Uh-huh. And the kids don't understand anything about their culture or speak their language. That's bizarre. It is. That's that, I kind of stopped my mind on that for a minute, too. But then you remember yeah. Moses's wife, Zipporah, mm-hmm. and out on the trail on, on the way to Egypt from where they had come from, uh, what Midian, God decided he was going to kill Moses and Zipporah goes and has to circumcise her son because apparently they had been in this big bone of contention about Jewish culture, about circumcision. Mm. They're out on the trail and the child is not circumcised. Okay. I forgot about that. So this is like from the foundation, right? Like Mm -hmm. she is objecting to her son being in her eyes mutilated Mm -hmm. for the sake of this cultural thing. You know, Paul later addresses circumcision in Gentiles as, you know, nothing. Yeah. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's making the argument that circumcision versus uncircumcision is nothing, especially in the Gentiles. This is not a people that has grown up with this. This is not salvational, has nothing to do with that. But Moses has married a woman that is not a Jew. Mm -hmm. She is not culturally a Jew. She is not religiously a Jew. And that is relevant here because these people have married people that aren't Jews and culturally their kids aren't Jews. Right. So... (laughs) <laughs> this maybe relates directly to what we read in the New Testament today in this reading as well, because it mm-hmm. seems that the men who are Jews don't necessarily dictate the culture in the household. It, it seems that it's the women at this time that are dictating the culture in the household because the kids don't even speak Hebrew. Right. Yep. They don't understand it at all. So it stands to reason when you're looking at this this picture of this time frame that the men were not the heads of the households. Mm-hmm. Because if they were, then their kids would have been raised in the Jewish culture and spoken the Hebrew language. And let's be straight, in today's terminology, we would call those men whipped. Yep. Yes, we would. I like how Nehemiah is saying, I threw all of Tobiah's household stuff out of the room, kind of like a precursor of Jesus overturning the tables. Yeah, N- Nehemiah is... He doesn't mess around. No, he's just on fire right now. He says in verse 25 of 13 here, it says, I contended with them, cursed them, struck certain of them, plucked Mm -hmm. off their hair (laughs) and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters. So he has assaulted these people Mm -hmm. for allowing their households to come to this. Yep. And he he says here, he addresses Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to misinterpret this as racism, okay? Really easy. It's it's super easy for, for us, even as Christians, to see the interpretation of this as racism, right? Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to two things. <laughs> One, it's not about race at all because he's talking about Solomon. Uh he allowed the women to cause him to sin. 
He allowed the women to take him away from God. Had nothing to do with what race they were, but they were Mm -hmm. culturally embedded in their own religion. And they dragged uh, Solomon and other people and other kings right out of faith in Yahweh and Mm -hmm. into idol worship with these false gods. So it's not racism. It is purely about faith in Yahweh and being faithful to God. Secondly, all of these people are descended from Noah, just the same as Abraham was. And mm-hmm. all these people are honestly, they're kind of a mosh of like the same race. So it's not really yeah. about racism. It's about faith in God. Right. And God knew this is this would happen, which is why he said, don't. Pretty simple. But it's also can be hard. I can understand why if your heart's not in the right place, it would be very easy to be pulled along into this wrong thinking and lifestyle. Yeah. So let's just say that uh, I'm a sober person and I feel that God has called me to be sober and mm-hmm. to not drink alcohol. And I go and spend all of my time in the house with raging alcoholics. Right. Okay. That's not necessarily even speaking against alcoholics, but I am supposed to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. All like it's it's not about them. It's about I am supposed to be a certain way. And right. if all I do is hang out with people who are not that way, isn't it the likelihood that I'm going to fall into temptation and eventually see that it's okay for me to drink alcohol when it's not. That has right. nothing to do with those people or what their qualifications are, right? It's it's all mm-hmm. about what, what has God called me to do? And God has called them to a different kind of life, a really different kind of life. Very different, although. And then, as as if this plan was orchestrated this way, <laughs> First Corinthians, we have him talking about the head of man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. Mm-hmm. Head of Christ is God. He's laying out the hierarchy. This is the chain of command. God the Father commands Christ. Christ commands the man, and the man commands the woman. You can say that's sexist or whatever you want to do. God is sovereign. He is. And you know what? You cannot like that. It's okay to not like it, but it doesn't mean you don't follow that authority. I know women who are Christians, who are devout Christians, who don't like that, and yet they still adhere to it because they know that it's correct. If you want to, if you want to disqualify this, then throw out the whole Bible for crying out loud. Yeah. And for those that do submit to this hierarchy of authority, they're blessed. Now, I'm not talking about women who are in abusive situations or anything like that. But in a healthy marriage that honors Christ, they are blessed. Yeah, there are women who don't want to do this and and not because their man is a domineering sure, because they'll they'll tell you straight up, oh, he's a great guy. I just Mm -hmm. don't believe that the man is the head over the woman. He's right. a great guy. Nothing against him. He's fine. He's wonderful. Probably the best guy I could ever find. And <laughs> yet they don't buy into this. And that's Christians. Yeah. But we were just shown an example of what happens when the man is not the head of the household, because that's really apparent in that passage that in this case, uh, a certain percentage of Jerusalem was households where the man was not the man of the house. Right. He did not wear the proverbial pants. 
I just saw a Babylon Bee post, which I love the Babylon Bee. I love the Babylon Bee. <laughs> I don't necessarily love every single post, but this one was pretty great. And it's not one that I'm going to post on my on my Facebook because I just choose not to put a <laughs> giant target on my head. But uh, it was about, uh, it says, uh, what is it? Man shuns toxic masculinity by allowing his wife to change the tire. <laughs> okay. He's he's got her, you know, he's saying he's a feminist, so she's out there chopping wood and his little eight-year-old girl is mowing the lawn Uh and he's just drinking a beer and playing video games and saying he's a feminist. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, if that's not a stereotype. (laughs) Well, I tend to think, okay, if you look into the, if you were to look into these households that we were just looking at in Nehemiah, Mm -hmm. I wonder if if this is not an extreme example, because I wonder if like the guys let the women run the house and they just sat around playing poker or whatever. Yeah. Smoking some cush and, and... yeah. <laughs> Going to have a grog somewhere. Drinking some, buddies. yeah. I was just thinking that. <laughs> Having some grog and playing poker and smoking some kush. And I, I wonder if that's what they were doing because these are, these are people of a completely different religion. It stands to reason that pharmacaea came into play because mm-hmm. uh, the other cultures would use, uh, would use drugs to, and hallucinogens to get in touch with their familiar or their god. Right. Wouldn't be surprising at all because things really don't change that much. And then Paul has this part about the covering of the head, Uh which I don't know if I fully understand it. Um, This book was the last book Doug taught partway through before he retired, and he's taught through it before. My understanding is that this was primarily a cultural thing. It was not something that we have to worry about now. But I also don't know if that's 100% true, but that's my understanding. It was just culturally in that society. If a woman didn't have her head covered, it was very distracting and very difficult to focus on worshiping the Lord. Well, Paul's writing it to a Gentile church. Right. It's not a Jewish church, so. Mm-mm. But again, it could just still be cultural of the time. Yeah, I know there's still people today that that think that if you wear a hat to church, you you know, if you're a man and you worn a hat to church, you're you're just disgracing, you're desecrating the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know anybody that <laughs> believes that, but that would be sad. I know that you know, generally speaking, as a sign of respect, men take their hats off for prayer and worship. But sometimes, so yeah, that's a good question because I've also I've often wondered it's like these are all together so shouldn't that mean we should still honor that does it or doesn't it or is it our culture saying we don't have to do that i tend to think the latter because our culture also says women don't have to wear dresses and then that but that's old testament i don't think that's in the new testament i understand why though i do understand why Mm -hmm. why do you think that is um this is gonna sound graphic i'm gonna try to say it as kindly as possible (laughs) but when women wear pants their their figure is more visible mm-hmm. their legs are separate mm-hmm. and that's as far as i'll take it yeah no i understand i understand that i honestly i think that's it and, mm-hmm. and when julie had asked about it because she she noticed the way that some guys in the church looked at her she asked me 
if it was something about the way that she dressed. And and I said, well, there are some things that you could do that would reduce this or would be your best effort to reduce this. Okay. There's some amount of human nature that you're not going to be able to get away from. Right. And um, when, when she heard my perspective on pants, she was like, mm-hmm. I had never thought of that. I'd never occurred to me. I never, not in a million years, that never would have occurred to me. And I'm like, well, guys are visual creatures and they just- Exactly. They see things the way that they see things. The imagery in their head is sometimes unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Stuff to think about. At the very least, I don't think women should be going into church wearing skin tight pants and shirts and not because they're responsible for how men see them because it's really not their responsibility, but how do they see themselves? Are they honoring their own bodies? See that- by not by not you know dressing modestly. This is one thing that I believe, and and many people disagree with me. It's fine. We we disagree on a great many things, and some of my greatest and bestest of friends disagree disagree with me passionately about a great many things. Mm-hmm. This is one of them. This is something that the Muslims have correct. The goodies hmm. are for daddy. Yeah, and that is it. Yeah, you don't get to look. They're dressed in a shroud so that you can't see them at all and uh and the then the goodies are for daddy it's a very simple concept and we we look at it as a, a frightening and oppressive and orwellian dystopian concept and it is something that is um, culturally integral. It's something that is at the roots of of fidelity. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, it doesn't work both ways, right? That's something that we could that we could learn from, and we can learn it from mm. the Bible because Paul talks about it. Paul talks about how we should dress, how we pre- how we present ourselves in church. We can take it right from our own Bible. Yep. And a lot of us would like to say this doesn't culturally apply to us anymore, but. Uh, I kind of think, you know what, if it's a slippery slope, I think we've gone almost all the way down that slippery slope. Yes, we have. What's your game plan today? It is going to be 10 degrees cooler today, but mostly cloudy, so very humid. I've kept the chickens alive, just going to check on them a few times today. So that's another goal because it's still pretty warm. Um, I'm going to do some stuff around the house if it doesn't get too hot. And my daughter spent the night at a jujitsu friend's house like two minutes away last night. So at some point I'll have to get her so she can shower and get all of her gear and go back to jujitsu. So I lead an exciting life. How about you? So she's working a double shift in jujitsu. A double shift? Yeah, back to back shifts in jujitsu. <laughs> Uh, today yep. it's going to be about uh, writing email and uh, maybe getting some videos made. I have some ideas for some videos and mm-hmm. um, maybe I will find a way to go to karaoke tonight. I don't know. You haven't been in ages. Right? Long time. It seems like when I want to go, Julie's really tired or she's not feeling good and I don't really feel like going alone. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. A lot of times when I go al- a lot of times when I go alone, I just come right back home. Uh, anyway, that's my game plan. Writing emails, uh, programming the radio station, mm-hmm. editing this podcast. Anyway, thanks for joining us, you guys. Have a great day. God bless you. We'll be back again tomorrow around 10-ish or so-ish Pacific time right here in the Jitsi Room. And then later on in the day on the podcast when that gets cut up, diced up, and regurgitated back onto Facebook <laughs> and elsewhere. So we'll see you then. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.